0: Bullshit. Let's pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe. Free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what no bullshit marketing is all about. I'm your host Dave Mastovich and let's cut the bullshit. No one sets out to be a bullshit marketer, yet it happens a lot. Especially because we are often uncomfortable repeating our key messages. Whether it's a fear of sounding scripted, or assuming the audience remembers what they heard before, communicators struggle with repeating their message and using different mediums to tell the story again and again. Maybe we can learn from those flight attendants who repeatedly go through those pre-flight instructions. Talk about a tough crowd. Passengers listening to music on their earbuds. Others reading or working. A few that somehow managed to fall asleep already. Yet the flight attendants stick to their message showing where the exits are and how to use the flotation device. Now that's message discipline. Sure, most passengers tune out the message, but we could all improve our communication and maybe even earn bonus message reward points by following the Flight Attendant Message Discipline Checklist. Define your goals. Whether you're running a meeting, making a presentation, or sending a group email, you owe it to yourself to first decide on clear goals of the communication. If you aren't clear about what you hope to achieve, how can your message be clear to your target audience? Number two, develop an easy-to-understand message. Sounds easy, but actually isn't. Build an outline first. Follow the outline while writing an initial draft. Then edit the draft and strive to reduce the length or word count by at least 20%. Why? Less is more. The simpler the message, the greater the retention. And since you're so close to the issue, you probably included unnecessary details that might actually reduce clarity. Number three, stick to the core message even if you think the audience knows or understands it. We all consume content and learn differently. Repeat the message multiple times in multiple messaging mediums. Stop thinking it's a bad thing to say the same thing again and again. Instead, think of leaders you admire. They stuck to their core message, convincing you and others to buy in. Repetition increases retention. Ever enjoy a Twin Pops Popsicle? I'm guessing the answer is yes. Our guest today is Lisa Allen, president and CEO of the Ziegenfelder Company, the proud producers of tasty treats like the Twin Pop. Lisa's led the company to tremendous growth during her 20 years at the helm. Lisa, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Dave, I'm happy to be here.
0: So Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your career path.
1: Okay, Um, well, first of all, I'm one of five brothers and sisters Um, My career path is um, not unlike anybody else's. I uh, grew up in a nice family, a a normal, quote-unquote, normal family. Um, I wasn't a great student in school. Um, I was highly social, and I really didn't care much about what was going on in school as much as who was in school. Um, So I think early on I was very interested in people and behaviors and social interactions and... Um, how people interacted, more so than I was academics. Um, I went to college at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, um, and I chose my my major and my career path based on not having to take math <laughs> and not having to take a language. So I focused on parks and recreation, which is something I love to do and love to be outside and play, uh, with a, a, a minor in management. Um, I was in that career. I worked at Ogilvy. I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with Ogilvy. Um, I worked at Ogilvy for a lot of years, and then I started into a consulting business with a couple of the managers at Ogilvy, Um, and we did customer service training and team building training, and um, it just evolved into um, my own consulting business, Uh, and then I eventually started into our family business, which is the Ziegenfelder company where we make the Twin Pops. Um, That was in 1999, and I've been there ever since.
0: All kinds of stuff I wanna touch back on. So first, uh, love the description of uh, the high school years and the social aspect. I think that's so uh, important, it's such a common thing. I think a lot of people uh, focus on that social part, which I think is actually way more important than a lot of the coursework. But tell us about the Ogilby experience. What specifically did you do there and what were some of the bigger successes there?
1: Well, that's a good question. I started at Ogleby, um, as a, as a supervisor at the, I think at the pool or one of the facilities or something. And one of the things that I do remember that was significant, probably a significant shift in my life, um, is at Ogleby, they, they have a lot of, um, park and recreation business schools. And I went, I attended one of them and speakers at this one school that I went to, um, were other uh, park directors from around the country. So the first group of speakers were the Director of Parks and Recreation for the City of Dallas, the Director for the City of Long Beach, California, the City um, of Chicago, and the Police Athletic League, which is um, New York City's Parks and Recreation Department. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself that I wanted to be up there being one of them, not working at the level that I was at. And that's what helped me realize that I, I, I wanted, I was interested in bigger things. I wanted I wanted to have an impact, a larger impact on people's lives.
0: So then did you take the leap to your own business with the consulting? Or were you doing that while you were still at Ogilby?
1: I, the consulting came after that. Um, and actually, it, it, it emerged from my wanting to leave Ogilby because I had had my second daughter and I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And they said, will you just help us with with this, joined this little, we, we formed a, a private business. And um, so I started calling on, client, on people who were interested in a product that we had at Ogilvy and I started selling it. It was a customer service training program. And so I started selling it and somebody needed to go and do the training. So I said, I'll do that. So I traveled um, for, I don't know, almost 15 years doing training and um, organizational development the places that I would go, people would say, This is great. Can we need to learn a little bit about team building. We need to learn about um, leadership. Can you help us with that? I'd say, sure, no problem. I'd go back, I'd learn it. I'd put a program together and I'd go out and I'd train. And you know as well as I do, you can if, if you can convey your message well, you become the expert.
0: That is awesome. So you've probably seen it all. So we're gonna go both spectrums here. We're gonna start off with the BS in the workplace that you've seen and probably helped turn around. Mm-hmm. But give an example from that experience when you just had to say, that's BS. Could be a company culture, a questionable leadership, poor work ethic.
1: Um, well, that's interesting because an uh, uh, image comes to me right away. It was one of my very first um, on-site training programs. And I was, so just picture this. I was in my 20s. Um, and one of the first organizations that I work with, I think it was in, I, I don't remember exactly where it was. I'm thinking it was in Michigan. I don't remember the department. But I had a group of maintenance men at four o'clock on a Friday. And I was to teach them about customer service. Um, and I'll never forget that. I mean, that I I, all, I was convinced at the time that I was set up. Because I don't think you could, you could, you could create um, a more um, adversarial group uh they didn't feel like their job was customer service at all um so that was tough and i where i mustered the strength to talk to the director to say that this was not a good start somehow mm-hmm. i did mm-hmm. somehow i did and so that was where i would you know in that environment where i called bs right away
0: so then uh let's go the other way talk about a learning experience when maybe you were a bs employee a tough boss or maybe your mm-hmm. communication wasn't what it needed to be. Looking back, when do you think you might have been guilty of some BS?
1: Well, I would have to. I would love to be able to say it was in the past, but I think it follows me wherever I go. Um, and I, I don't think I'm, I make good use of time. So I'm a time. I think I can be a time waster. I don't okay. feel like I am. I feel like I fill every minute. Um, but there's things I don't get done that mm-hmm. are my obligation to to complete. And I can make every excuse in the world for why I don't, but I appreciate it when somebody looks at me and says that mm, that's not right. (laughs) I don't believe that. That's BS. Whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, and holds me more accountable. And that level of accountability makes—I'd like to think—makes me better.
0: Talk about that a little bit, because I know from being in the same chair as you, with when you're in that leadership position. How does, give me some examples of how you've built enough trust with people that are on your team to feel comfortable with and call you out. Hmm. Because I I, while you're thinking about it, I know that that's one of the biggest flattering <laughs> things for me is that people on my team will very tactfully call me aside or, or they'll tease me or um, Suzanne brought me a Snickers bar the other day because she knew I was getting a little bit ornery and I'm just like the Snickers <laughs> commercial. So that's like... Something that I'm sure doesn't happen all the time. They're human, but at least they're comfortable to come to me and say, I think you're messing up on this, or I think you're missing an opportunity. I think you could do this better. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing happens to you. I
1: just had that conversation yesterday uh, around this subject, and again this morning. And um, as our organization grows, as it's as significantly as we've been growing, and we bring new people into our organization, those three letters behind my name, CEO, uh, makes people feel like they have to perform and it's and I don't like that that's not a comfortable feeling for me I feel like I'm a very I'm an easy to talk to person um, I think um, I can accept um, comments and criticisms very easily and I, I I sometimes remind myself of Gilligan remember Gilligan's Island um, when somebody's make an idea i'd said well that's a good idea well that's a good idea too so i'm i feel like i'm flexible but if people don't know me well um the letters sometimes stand out more than than my my own behavior uh, fortunately uh the people in our company who have been with us for a long time are very comfortable with me there's a handful of them that will absolutely say time out mm-hmm. stop just stop um, and I like that in a, in a, in small groups because then that gives other people strength to do that as well. Agree. And it happens. So it, it's an evolving thing. And we were just talking about that this morning.
0: We're talking with Lisa Allen, president and CEO of the Ziegenfelder company, famous for their twin pops, which you've seen at Walmart and all over the place. And their great treats.
1: Giant Eagle too. <laughs>
0: This is the no bullshit marketing podcast, so I do have to give my definition of marketing, so I can ask you about your opinion on marketing. And our definition at Mass Solution is we talk about first starting with clearly defining your target markets drilling that down you know the big catchphrase nowadays is personas if you can build the persona personas of your ideal customer profile drill that down to find your target markets but then the next key step is doing the marketing intel to find out what they want and then taking that intel and tweaking your product if you have to so you can give it to them when and where they want it at a price they're willing to pay and then tell them about it again and again The challenge in our industry is most people think that last part there, the telling them about it again and again is marketing, when in reality you have to do that front-end stuff. So with my definition there of marketing, you've done a whole lot of marketing with the Twin Pops messaging. Think back to what's been your most amazing moment in your experience with marketing, messaging, or communications. What's your biggest marketing success?
1: So first of all, before I answer that question, if I forget it, remind me um – so what everything that you just said, I can reduce to three short phrases that we use all the time about our products. And those are, it looks good. It tastes good. And it doesn't cost a lot. You got it. Those three phrases really explain everything that you just said. Um, so the most amazing um, aha moment for us in um, our product development and our marketing has to be our the rainbow array what we call the rainbow array, which is actually um, our defines our trade dress, which is um, the intellectual property that really has given us the opportunity to grow as we have. So it seems counterintuitive that a a inexpensive twin pop has intellectual property attached to it. Um, and that's that was born clear back in the late 80s when we first started making our products. Uh, we had a large competitor who tried to copy what we did. Um, and through legal uh, proceedings, um, a judge granted a temporary injunction, which turned into a permanent injunction. We used a prestigious Pittsburgh firm at the time um, who still assists us with our intellectual property. But what they did is they created this rainbow array um trade dress for us, which means that every one of our Twin Pops, uh, the, every package of our Twin po- twin Pops um, has six colors, six different colors, 18 in a bag. So there's three of each color. And that's a requirement when we make our product, when we make um, 30,000 bags in 24 hours, Um, every one of them has to have the six colors in it. And so we're the only company who can produce six colors and put them in a clear bag, which doesn't seem like a lot. But the rest of the the industry, for some reason, has just kind of allowed us to do that, which has enabled us to grow our business. So that rainbow array, that um, intellectual property, gave us the courage to focus more and more, just to drill our focus down into that one product when we were developing that product we decided that um, or we we realized that a when anybody buys a product like ours a popsicle quote unquote or a twin pop it was just expected to be cold sweet wet give it to your kids they'll leave you alone you'll be happy uh, we decided that needed to be our point of difference so we developed a specific sugar blend we used three different types of sugar a specific sugar blend we sourced great flavors And we decided that the consumer was who we were reaching for, not the retailer that we needed to put it in their store, but the consumer. And the product, there was no reason why it needed to cost a lot of money. There's um, global companies that make similar products and charge two, three, four dollars more than our products cost. That's not necessary. We decided that wasn't necessary. So if we had a great product that looked great on the shelf and didn't cost a whole lot, then people were going to try it. And what we found in our business over 20-some years is once we gain a customer, we don't lose them. And they, our business has grown. Our business has grown over a 15-year period, um, an annualized my, um, 12 to 13% growth year over year over year for 15 years.
0: Wow. You talk about marketing. That could be <laughs> a marketing course right there. So I have to go back to a number of these because there's so much out of that what is a phenomenal answer Tell me the rainbow color. You, you're the only one that's allowed to have six colors. So does the competition put four in, or well, if
1: you if you in a bag, a bag versus a box. And when we did it, um, the reasons we did it is because we, we were a um, a company. We didn't have a whole lot of money. We didn't. We couldn't source packaging at that time. Back in the eighties, a bag was cheaper than a box. So we went with a box. Or excuse me, we went with a bag. Um, in the industry, most most producers were making products with one stick, not two sticks, because naturally that's half the cost. The only kind of molds we had in our plant were the twin pot molds, so we had to use two sticks. That's all we had. We couldn't afford anything different. So we developed a package that spoke to the consumer, not to the not to the operation, not to saving money on uh, what consumers know happens, which is you get less cost you more. Uh-huh. So we decided to do the opposite, counterintuitive. Um, so we put six colors in a bag. This, this um, legal proceeding that we were uh, awarded the injunction against the other company, um, the brilliance in all of that was when our, our legal team said, now take this and run with it. You've been granted an injunction that says that you're the ones that can put six colors in a bag. It's a very, if you think about the focus, it's very, very narrow. Um, but we took it and we ran with it. So we put um, the color, our package on truck, on the trucks that we leased. We put the image of our package in every circular wherever we'd had an ad across the country. It's our business cards. It's our logo. It's everything that we do is this visual image. And trade dress Um, The way trade dress is defined, and I'm not legal, so if I'd say this incorrectly, I apologize. It's the visual impression that the consumer receives that tells them that what they're looking at is from the same source as when they've seen it before, like the Golden Arches or a Coke bottle. It doesn't have to say Coke or you don't have to see the Arches to know it's Uh McDonald's. So this bag, whether our name's on it or not, it's the visual impression that the consumer receives. The difference between trade dress and trademark is a mark is specific. So it, you have to, it's clearly defined. Trade dress is ours to defend. It's not It's not a black and white answer. It's ours to defend. So in the early years, we used to travel around the country just to make sure nobody was copying us, to talk to our customers and meet with our buyers, but to make sure no one was copying us. There were, I think, three different times that we found it copied in the marketplace, and we were all over the com- competition. We would spend everything it would take so that they would take their products off the market and ours would, would be sustainable. And it's if you think about it, the products that we make, water ice, it's, it's, n- nobody thinks about it. It's low end. Nobody thinks about it. Low end meaning people that produce it. Um, it's a, and that too, kind of a product. They just, it's a pull along. We'll make that as well. So it's our sole focus, and it's their third or fourth or tenth thought. So as we focus and they don't, our business grows and theirs doesn't.
0: Some amazing marketing stuff, the first thing being that they focused on the customer and the consumer and made it visually strong and made it something that had the the pricing and the, the taste, and then having the wherewithal to push the, the legal issue and to continue to focus on one core thing. That last point is huge about how it is your core uh, product, whereas other people, it's an afterthought. There's a whole lot of great marketing stuff there. I want to move into what I talk about, and that's what's the big idea. Uh, it's a question we ask all of our clients because when it comes to messaging, I think you have to answer two whys your why, which you've kind of answered your reason for being as a company, and your customer's why, their reason for buying. And then you need to cap, uh, take that and crystallize it into one big idea, one memorable message or theme that makes an emotional impact on your target audiences. You might have already done this earlier, but just give it some thought and see if you want to elaborate and add to it. But for the Ziegenfelder company, what's your big idea? Does it go back hmm. to the looks good, tastes good, costs, low Doesn't cost a
1: lot, yeah. yeah. So I would say um, um, yes. So there's two really big ideas. To me, there's one internal, and then there's one external. um, Or one that, I guess they both impact from an external perspective as well, are really, you call it a big idea, we call it our make or break. Okay. Um, So what's the one thing that will make our business successful or potentially damage our business if we don't focus on it? And that's for us, it's our low-cost business model. So in the early years, we were a company that that kind of pieced things together and didn't have a whole lot of um, cash – well, we had cash flow, but not a whole lot of reserves to be able to grow our business or to be highly creative because there's cost to all of that. Um, Our equipment was typically – others used equipment that we had great mechanics who could fabricate it and make it better um, for us. So we've always operated on a low-cost model. If we're going to sell our products to our – to the, our retail customers who would again have to put their markup on it and then sell it to the consumer. And we want it to get, we want our products to get to the consumer at the lowest price possible. We've got to do our due diligence and make sure that we're not putting too much cost into everything that we do. So our fixed costs our variable costs. We manage them very, very closely and we talk about this low cost model so that we don't waste. We don't. um, We truly give the customer what they're buying is is every cost that's in it, because if you think about it, we have to buy our raw materials, we have to pay our employees, we have all those costs. We have to store it, we have to ship it. The retailer then has to do the same, and everybody takes a penny or two in the process. So I would say our low cost model is really our our big one of our big ideas. We have two, Um, and with that, even as we grow, now have three facilities, three hundred employees across the country, ship product to really to all corners of the country, and I believe you can probably buy our products in just about every community across the country, um, we still focus on our low-cost model as if we are um, hand-to-hand um, or hand-to-mouth, if you will, kind of an operation so that, we, we, so that everybody stays focused. So our low-cost model is, number one, it's our make or break. Um, the second big idea that I think is so critical in our business or any business is our focus on growing people. So I like to think that we our our mission our, our our business vision is really to develop great people inside of our organization so they can take care of our great consumers. And it's our obligation to to deliver all of the resources, all of the knowledge, all of the training to the folks inside of our company so they can they can be the best that they can be. And if we can develop a company built that's that's from the ground up built by leaders and built with leaders, then they feel good about themselves, they feel good about what they've done. And when they feel good, when they leave our, our facilities, they leave their eight hours, 10 hours of work, whatever it is, and they go home, then they have an impact on the people in their homes, and they have the impact on their neighbors, and they go to the grocery store. And if you feel good about yourself, you impact other people in a positive way. So I think that we, we have a company that can impact millions and millions of people, not just by the products that they eat, but by the people that they touch.
0: So Lisa, how can listeners contact you if they'd like to learn more about
1: what you do? Well, that's a great question. So um, a number of ways. Um, our Facebook page, which is Budget Saver, which is our brand name. Um, we're on Instagram. Um, my Our website is budgetsaver.com. Anybody can go to that and find us. Um, and my email address I'll give you my email address so if anybody wants to contact me directly feel free to
0: Well this is a this is a first folks we is got really? a CEO giving her email address I'll Yes this is to. awesome
1: I'll be glad to and then I'll let you know how many listeners you have Okay <laughs> uh, my so email I'm gonna, address oh, well, I'm,
0: I'm going to have my whole staff like email under right. fake gmail addresses <laughs> heard you on the show
1: uh, my email address is l allen a l l e n so it's l a l l e n at twinpops.com
0: Lisa, thanks for being on the show.
1: You're welcome, Dave. Thank you.
0: Great episode. Thanks for joining us for the No Bullshit Marketing Podcast. Visit boldsolutionsnobs.com or (laughs) boldsolutionsnobs.com. For show notes plus additional marketing and messaging resources, sign up for light reading. You'll receive valuable strategies every other week to improve your marketing and transform your message. It really is light, intended to be read in two minutes or less, and it just might trigger bright ideas for you. To sign up, visit MassSolutions.biz. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea, and build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.